Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Of those books, what do you think you'll read together next? We're having a little bit of disagreements. <laughs> hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 164. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I got a message on Instagram this week from Lauren, one of the listeners who requested a gift recommendation in episode 161. Lauren said, Tom Clancy fan girlfriend here. I hadn't heard of Lee Childs, and I think that series sounds perfect. I Am Pilgrim was on my TBR, so now I think we'll both have to read it. I will get such a kick out of telling him the story after Christmas. Thanks again. Ann Kingman and I recommended books to Lauren's boyfriend in episode 161 of What Should I Read Next? If you missed it, it's such a fun one. Go back and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for today's episode, my guests Chelsea and Curtis are childhood sweethearts looking to connect over a good book and possibly across an ocean. But their reading taste might not be as compatible as their personalities, so I definitely have my work cut out for me today choosing reads they might both enjoy. Today, we're getting brutally honest about their least favorite books, and I think Chelsea's will really shock you. Curtis gives us a peek at his favorites from the Army's required reading list, and I push them both out of their comfort zone with my recommendations. Let's get to it. Chelsea, Curtis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure to meet Chelsea at Monkey and Dog Books in Fort Worth when I was on book tour this fall, especially because, Chelsea, you showed up in a t-shirt that made me think, like, <laughs> oh, we understand each other. Yes, that was a kindred spirits moment for sure. <laughs> that was a gift from my friend Madeline. Some people might know her as Top Shelf Text. You actually had her on the show, but it has all of the Bennett sisters' names on it from Pride and Prejudice. In a really fun font that just says, Jane Austen is amazing. That's what I took it to mean. Exactly. And Pride and Prejudice might be my favorite. I don't know. It rotates. Do you have a favorite? I go back and forth. I love Emma. But mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice has a special place in my heart because um, I actually played Elizabeth Bennett in my high school production of it. <laughs> yes. So I've inhabited the character literally. So it's kind of special to me. That was also a fun moment for me because I had to walk up to who was playing Darcy 
and who had to kiss her on stage and have a fun conversation. Yeah, we had just started dating, so... Oh, wow. That was an arm flexing moment a little bit. Well, I was so excited to get your all's submission to come on the podcast. You said that you all have been reading together lately and that the challenge, should we choose to accept it, is to find books that someone who's a history major and a current military leader and someone who's an English teacher and a Jane Austen fan will both love. So I knew you all were married, but I didn't realize that this relationship went way back. Yeah, we've been married for five years but we've been together for 10. We started dating super young. We've been reading together for a long time. Books were a big part of our relationship when we were dating and then has continued as we've been married. So, All right. Now, anyone who's listened to the first episode of your podcast, He Read, She Read, knows you were in a bookstore at a pivotal moment. Would you tell us about that? Sure. So it was my birthday because it was an easy way to go on a bookstore date. And I proposed to Chelsea in the basement of one of our favorite used bookstores at the University of Minnesota. The basement? What's in the basement at this bookstore? Well, that's just where the majority of the books are. So I think we were in like the history section because that's where I'm a frequent contributor. And it was like more secluded and private for a sweet romantic moment. (laughs) (laughs) The cashier wasn't like, and I have something to go with your books. Exactly. Is there a photo documentation? Oh, yes. for, yeah, definitely is. Uh, and when we went upstairs, the guy at the cashier gave us like a punch card. It was just like, hey, you can get a free book. <laughs> Congratulations. Which is the perfect gift for a book loving couple is just like, yeah, here you can get free books for proposing in our bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that bookstore exists anymore, which is sad. Yeah. But we have been going on bookstore dates together since we started dating. So that was definitely a significant marker of the next step of our relationship. That says a lot about the role of reading in your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are your reading lives like as individuals? Chelsea, you're the English major. Tell me about you. Well, I've been a reader my whole life. That's no surprise. I read a lot of young adult literature because I teach high school. I'm in grad school right now, so I'm reading a lot of assigned stuff for my master's degree in English. And then I try and make time for reading for fun for just me and what I want to read. What's grad school doing for your reading life? Good things or is it complicated? I would say it's complicated. Actually, one of the books that I'm going to mention as a love was assigned in grad school. However, it just depends on the class that I'm taking. Sometimes I've found it really enriching and a good addition to my reading life. At moments, it has squashed my individual reading life and I've only been able to focus on grad school. So it's been mixed. Curtis, what about you? Well, to start off, I was always into history as a kid, um, read a lot of books on the Civil War, you know, transitioned to some fantasy and Lord of the Rings when I was growing up. And that's translated to when I was a history major in college. Now I'm an army officer where it's a lot of reporting on generals, battles, um, a lot of memoir that I enjoy. Uh, And I'm an amateur presidential historian. So if you look at my library, it's a lot of presidential biographies and memoirs. That's pretty much the Venn diagram of my reading life is just history and leadership books and throw in a little bit of fantasy here and there. So you all are looking for books that you can enjoy together. Does this ever happen accidentally that you both read something that you both enjoy? 
I'd say the accidental part would be when we're on a road trip and have an audiobook in the car and Chelsea thinks that I'm sleeping and <laughs> she'll have something on that I normally wouldn't think that I would enjoy, but I actually come to love it. So a good example of that one would be like a Lady Hardcastle mystery series that we both enjoy where they're a couple of sassy, snarky lady detectives that I normally wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> But when I uh, listen, when we listened to it on audiobook, I loved it. So you've accidentally had the experience that lots of readers try to find on purpose, which is, I never thought that book would be for me, but it was amazing. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but other than that, we haven't been intentional about reading the same books until we started our podcast. So before it was pretty much just like mysteries, an area where we both pretty much intersect. So the Robert Galbraith Corman Strike series was one where we both loved all of those books. Dark Matter by Blake Crouch was one that I read and then handed it off to Curtis immediately because I knew he loved it. But those were more blips on our reading life than normal circumstances. So now we're looking for books that we can read together intentionally and discuss. What appeals to you about that? Well, <laughs> a couple of things. <laughs> I'm thinking that's probably self-evident to many listeners, but not all. As readers, individually, we both just love to learn. That's evident in Curtis reading all these presidential biographies. That's evident in my role as a teacher. And we love talking about what we learn together. We're just big nerds. <laughs> that's what it boils down to. <laughs> But also with Curtis being in the military, in the five years of our marriage, we've spent about two, two and a half years of that apart in different countries. So discussing what we're reading is really a way to bring us together. And especially with discussing books on the podcast now, that's been a way for us to kind of reconnect after Curtis was in Afghanistan for nine months over the last year. So it's a means of connection for us, especially like when Curtis was in Afghanistan, he couldn't necessarily tell me how his day was. There wasn't a lot that we could talk about from his end. So talking about what we were reading and books together was that connection piece. And for me, it was just trying to expand my reading life to be more inclusive to different perspectives and other things that Chelsea is embracing and things that are important to her. So that's part of my reason for wanting to read more diversely and just to connect with her on that level. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear about your books. You all know how this works. You are going to each tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading together. Next. Chelsea, tell me about a book you love. The first book that I love is Homegoing by Ya Jesse. How did you come to this one? I first learned about Homegoing because I think it was on a lot of debut authors lists because this was Ya Jesse's debut novel. I was interested in it because I really love debuts. I was fascinated about learning about history that I didn't know about. I love historical fiction, but this is different from your average World War II lady spy or <laughs> World War II romance historical fiction novel. Yeah, it is. Chelsea, what landed this on your favorites list? I absolutely love the storytelling. So the book follows two sisters. Effia and Essie are born in Ghana and 
Effia's life is traced through threads through their family lineage in Ghana, and then Essie's life and family lineage is traced over her journey to America. So it covers a broad spectrum of history, and yet each chapter is almost like a short story and a glimpse at a time period, and I found that absolutely fascinating. I loved how each story connected and was just absolutely taken away by the prose as well. It's really beautifully written. Curtis, tell me about a book you love. So I know everybody says that it's really hard to pick three, but I'm just going to put it back out there that it's really hard to pick three. Um, my favorite my, <laughs> my favorite book of all time is Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. It is a historical fiction account of the Battle of Thermopylae when the Persian army invaded Greece. I'm so glad I've actually read this one. Oh, fantastic. I really like Stephen Pressfield's writing on the writing life. He talks a lot about what it took to put together this book. And I was intrigued by that and came to it that way. But I imagine you came at it from a totally different angle. Well, I first heard about it when I was in high school uh, and we were discussing the battle. And I was the nerd that would walk up to the teacher after class and be like, I was really interested in that. Do you have any recommendations? And I was, and they directed me to the Gates of Fire. And then it's also on numerous Army reading lists. It's currently on the one that gets distributed from the Army Chief of Staff, required reading for all the service academies. So I read it in high school. And over the last 10 years, I've probably read it six or seven times. I've owned multiple copies that I've loaned to colleagues and soldiers, and one of them got left behind in Lithuania and destroyed by the rain, which I was very disappointed at that soldier for <laughs> losing it. But it was important to me to have multiple copies of it to make sure that people had a chance to be exposed to it. So buying a book multiple times is high praise. What is it about Gates of Fire for you? Honestly, for me, it's just the representation of how soldiers interact with one another and going from young children in Spartan society to sacrificing themselves on a suicide mission, that shared hardship and how it brings people together. It's one of the best books I've ever read on honor and respect and how leaders can influence their subordinates, but also how subordinates can influence their leaders. Very important to me. It's something that I've read continually and I will continue to read for the next 10 years. <laughs> and it's also a really good story, which is what I enjoyed about it. That's a big part of it too. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, have you read this? I have not. Have you ever thought about it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Brutally honest. We like it that way. <laughs> Chelsea, tell me about another book you love. Okay. The next book on my list is actually one that was on my grad school reading list for my creative nonfiction class, which is one of my favorite classes I've taken. It's the autobiography of Malcolm X, which I don't know that I would have picked up on my own. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that I came in contact with it through this course. I absolutely loved this book. I think everyone should read it. It's required reading. Part of why I loved it was that it corrected a lot of misconceptions that I had about Malcolm X himself, because I don't necessarily think a lot of middle school or high school history courses do a good job of explaining who he was and the role that he played in the civil rights movement. And so I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there. The book itself was co-written by Alex Haley. So it's from a series of interviews. So the tone is really conversational. You really just feel like Malcolm X is speaking directly to you. He is very direct, super honest, 
unflinching about himself and about society. There were a lot of passages that I underlined that I thought, oh my goodness, this could have been written today. There was also such rich historical detail, which took me by surprise. I didn't realize that he was going to go into such detail about the time period. It traces his journey from a child to a man and really his transformation It is an amazing transformation. So this book absolutely blew me away. And I really like that it surprised me. What do you think it is about creative nonfiction that's appealing to you? What falls under that umbrella? Because it sounds like a lot of what does fall under that umbrella is really making you happy as a reader. Yeah, which I really didn't start reading nonfiction until a couple of years ago, actually, because Curtis reads so much nonfiction that I was influenced thinking, well, that seems like an area where I could read a little bit more. So it's fairly new for me, but I have really been loving it. Curtis, tell me about another book that you love. So I'm going to pick one from the fantasy realm now, because that takes up the other portion of my reading life. Um, And I'm going to do Theft of Swords by Michael J. Sullivan. Like a lot of people after Game of Thrones was finished up in 2013. I was frantically Google searching for something else to fill a void. And I I found these books filled with snarky dialogue, political intrigue, a couple of conspiracies, and also an epic bromance that I've loved and fallen in love with these characters (laughs) so much. It reads very much like TV, where it could easily be adapted into a miniseries or something like that. Fantastic books that I've enjoyed for years. Curtis, this question sounds straightforward and it's probably going to be difficult to answer, but do you know what it is about the fantasy that appeals to you? Well, that's a good one. We've actually discussed this a couple of times. And for me, it's the epic world building that authors are able to pour into and devote so much of their time and paint a picture that I can just insert myself into. So whether it's Tolkien or George R.R. Martin, in this case, Michael J. Sullivan, if they devote so much time to creating their universe and characters that I can fall in love with, then that's the important part for me. It's mainly a relationship thing between the characters. And then if the world is epic and vast, then I'm into it. That's interesting because I think the reason that I enjoyed Gates of Fire so much was because Stephen Pressfield did a great job of recreating a world that I hadn't read about since seventh grade history class. And it was very vivid on the page. I like how these fantasy books you're mentioning can really address deep philosophical questions in their stories. That's an important part for me, too, is if they're talking about friendships and relationships, equality and not keeping people down. That's a big part in these ones as well. Okay. Chelsea, what's your final favorite? My final favorite is Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay. Mm-hmm. I chose this because it veers from my other two selections in that it is pure fun. So I think I read this in a day and couldn't put it down. And I love that experience. Even though I love reading a book that I can sit and highlight and really think about, I love the experience of just pure binge reading. So this was one that I couldn't stop turning the pages. And I love a spin on a classic or a fairy tale. This is not a direct retelling of Jane Eyre, but it's a twist. So the main character, Jane Steele, loves the book Jane Eyre. She comments on it frequently and her life follows a similar path, but rather than being a matronly governess, she is a murdering vigilante. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little different. Just a slight twist. I think the word sassy has come up already (laughs) on this podcast, but sassy is definitely what I look for in my heroines, especially when we're talking a twist on a classic or the Victorian era. I love some good sass. 
I also really enjoyed Jane Steele. And I'm with you on the uh, retelling aspect. I think those can be really fun. Lindsay Fay has a new one coming out in January. It's called The Paragon Hotel. It's on my shelf over there. So there's no excuse for this, but I don't know anything about it. But I'm very much looking forward to reading another by her. I just saw that one. I was looking on my Goodreads shelf just to look up Jane Steele. And I saw that one. I marked want to read right away. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I said there's no excuse. And I have like hundreds of books on that shelf over there. There's hundreds was, of that's excuses. An excuse. I was going to say, <laughs> if, anybody, if anybody has an excuse, Anne, it's you. <laughs> Curtis, tell me about your final favorite. So I had to pick a World War II history just because oh. that's been a majority of my reading life for over 20 years. Um, and I picked Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. And I actually watched the miniseries first uh, that was produced by HBO and then went back and read the book that it was based on, based on interviews with over 20 soldiers uh, from the same company that follows them from their formation in 1942 all the way through D-Day and all major combat operations that the 101st Airborne had during World War II. It's epic in scope. You can feel like you're in the foxhole with these guys. And it's probably the best historical rendition that I've read on World War II. So that's that's my number three. High praise. So we know that Chelsea hasn't read Gates of Fire. Have either of you read the other's favorites? No. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we've had this discussion and we're like, our reading life overlaps in a very small area and we also both have very broad interests. So things that we like for ourselves are not necessarily the same things that we like together, which is, kind of makes your job a little bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it more fun. That's what you mean, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the puzzle. <laughs> Curtis, what book was not for you? This is the really hard part because I don't remember actively disliking a lot of books that I've read recently because I'm very good about doing my research and figuring out if I'm going to like it. Required reading is where I usually find something that I don't like. And I had to reach back all the way to high school and find The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. It's the only book that I remember actively hating during high school. <laughs> I, think, I think a big part about it is I just didn't connect with the characters. I feel like he was whiny. There wasn't any growth. He started off as disgruntled and ended the book the same way. Honestly, I wasn't just, I, I wasn't into the whining. Well, when you put it like that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> like we've had, we've had the topic of maybe revisiting some books from high school and seeing if we can see it from a different lens now that we're adults, but I have no intention of touching this book ever again. Especially because we actually, we went to the same high school Curtis was two years ahead of me, but we had some of the same English teachers. So we read a lot of the same books in high school. Don't tell people that I'm Rod the Cradle like that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Dork. Chelsea, when you told me about the book that wasn't for you, you said, I'm already wincing about this. Mm -hmm. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. The book that I do not love is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And I am physically wincing right now. <laughs> I can hear you like sinking down in your chair. She's anticipating all the... Well, the here's the thing. I barely mentioned it on an episode of He Read, She Read. And already I got three messages asking Chelsea, why don't you like little women? Well, let's hear it. A couple of years ago, I decided to start revisiting some classics from childhood so I listened to Anne of Green Gables on audio and I loved it. I fell completely back in love with the series and remembered why I loved it as a kid. About a year later, I thought, well, 
When I was young, I picked up Little Women. I started to read it and I decided these girls don't do anything. It's boring. And I gave up on it. And so I thought, well, I'll listen to it on audio and maybe I'll have the same experience as Anne of Green Gables. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) The audio narration was excellent quality wise as an audio book, but it was so saccharine and sickly sweet to me that I didn't get the cozy vibes that a lot of people associate with it. Even though a lot of people would argue that Joe is spunky, I found that I was really irritated with the way that she would maybe make a mistake or buck social norms and then get so hard on herself for it and sort of beat herself up over not being the perfect young woman. And I had a hard time with that. I know for a lot of people, if they don't like the book, it's because they don't like the ending. I was actually more interested in learning about the German professor than I ever was about Lori. (laughs) But we never got information about him. It was just like, hey, this happens. And Louisa May Alcott, I don't think even really liked Little Women either. So I think it's not to discredit her. I think she has a really interesting life. But she was writing Little Women to make money and to satisfy the public, not necessarily to be subversive in the way that I love Jane Austen for being subversive with her stories. And so Little Women just fell short for me and I don't love it. I should say I've never seen any of the film versions either. I hear you on Little Women. Also, there are so many words. Yeah. It's so long. I mean, I like long books. Curtis, I know how you feel about long books. If it's not a thousand pages, I just describe it. (laughs) (gasps) I don't know, because I'm already thinking of one for you that's more like 150. Oh, this will be a challenge then. I'm going to make a case for it, though. I'm ready. (laughs) I I think I have a case. But the covers are so pretty. So I do own, even though I'm totally with you on this, we can dodge the tomatoes together. Yes. I do own like seven copies because they're just so pretty. They keep cranking out these classics editions of sets where Little Women comes as one of them. And I'm glad I own it and I want my daughters to read it. And then we can have a very interesting conversation about everybody's choices and how literature has changed in a few hundred years. Yes, I will say I love reading it with my English teacher or my grad school hat on and analyzing it. I love picking this apart through a feminist lens. This could be amazing as a book club pick, but I can understand how if you just want to sit down and have an afternoon of pure fun or several afternoons because of the word count here, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. I'll reach for Anne of Green Gables every time. I know how you feel about audiobooks and the Rachel McAdams version is so, so fun. That was one that Curtis ended up loving when he was half asleep in the car and started listening to it and kind of perked up and was like, this is actually a really sweet book. (laughs) He's the sensitive one in our relationship. (laughs) I think it was also the fact that it was Rachel McAdams and she's got a very nice voice. Yes. And she also doesn't have a saccharine voice. No, I think that matters too. The sassiness is important. I will keep your uh, sensitive side in mind, Curtis. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) What are you all reading right now? I am reading Drums of Autumn by Diana Gabaldon right now. Curtis and I watch Outlander together. That's one of the shows that we enjoy watching. But I started reading the books before the show came out. So I'm trying to stay ahead and read first. But Curtis is like, come on. New episodes are out. The first episode is out and we can't watch it because you're not far enough in the book. (laughs) That's an enormous book. Those are really good on audio, Chelsea, if you haven't yet. I haven't yet. They're narrated by Davina Porter, who is 
she's fantastic. I might have to go for that. But for now, I'm already about 100 pages into Drums of Autumn. So Ooh, I, that's only like 10%. I know. I need, that. To, I need to pick it up a notch. Curtis, what are you reading right now? The Outsider by Stephen King, which has uh-huh. been on a lot of good thriller lists for 2018. And then mainly nonfiction. Got The Bully Pulpit by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin is my next one. So that's going to be a uh, examination of Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft, and then how they both used the press um, when they were both trying to get the Republican nomination for president. So I feel like it's applicable in today's day and age. Okay. I don't know if I should feel disappointed or validated that I wrote DKG down in my notes. I think that's You should probably feel extremely validated because Curtis has about three Doris Kearns Goodwin's unread on his shelf right now. (laughs) I don't know though, because my big question mark is, but what about Chelsea? I mean, you love to learn. I think this could work. You can make a case for it, Anne. I don't know. There's there's other stuff higher up the list, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Now, I know one thing you all want to be different in your reading life, and that is to find books that you both will love. Curtis, I know you want to read more diversely, new perspectives, new lenses. Chelsea, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Lately, I've been wanting to slow down a little bit. I think just because oh. grad school reading and trying to read for myself in various book clubs, The volume of my reading life has been really high, but it means that I'm not taking time to savor a lot of books and I'm not necessarily choosing books for myself. A lot of books have been chosen for me lately. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, you see what we're doing here. (laughs) I know, but this feels very different. (laughs) Just in that, like, I've had a lot of assigned reading and so I'm looking forward to reading things that I'm not on a deadline for. I can appreciate that. Curtis, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I just, well, I'm curious to see what you've come up with. It's, it's, a, it's a daunting task. No, it's a fun task, remember? I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I'm, I'm a big problem solver, and like, I don't know if you can get that from hearing about me, but I'm, so I'm intrigued to see how you're going to solve this problem. What problem? But- <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. We just talked about how there's so much to read and so much of it is good, but how do you decide and what's going to work mm-hmm. for you? It is a struggle sometimes. Okay. So let's talk about your books. Curtis, you love Gates of Fire, Theft of Swords, and Band of Brothers. Yes. Chelsea, you're a little different with your love of Homegoing, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and Jane Steele. Do you find that when you want to read books that both of you will enjoy, that one of you ends up like walking into the other's camp instead of meeting in the middle? I guess our default is mystery. And so we wouldn't mind getting out of that a little bit. Maybe I walk towards nonfiction. Well, I would say I walk towards YA. That's true. So Really? Yeah. Well, like, what's a YA book that you've enjoyed? Uh, we both read and listened to Pierce Brown's Red Rising series. Oh. Which I very much enjoyed. I can see that. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that a lot. And that was another thing where when I heard it was YA, I would just automatically was shut down in my brain. But it turned out to be very well written mm-hmm. and a world that I enjoyed and characters that I loved. I'd say you walk towards nonfiction, I walk towards YA, and then we meet in the middle with uh, Mystery Books. Yeah. The Hate You Give was another one. Oh, loved it. That I read, and then I passed it on to Curtis, and I wanted to make sure he read it before we saw the movie, but it ended up being on his list of favorite YA books, for sure. Favorite books of 2018. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. This is fun, because you do have a ton in common, You know that you both really love to learn and you've identified as big nerds. (laughs) Chelsea, I do think you may enjoy Gates of Fire. 
Because it's a great story. You will learn a lot. It really plunges you into an interesting situation. But I can understand if that's not the number one thing on your list. How long is that one, Curtis? It's probably like 300 pages. It's not too bad. Oh, that's not too bad. It's not too bad. I do see a lot of potential here. And I really want to play with the fact that you love to learn. You appreciate good world building. And history is a way in. I'm also conscious of the fact that Curtis, all the books you've chosen have a very straightforward prose style. That's not the case so much for Chelsea. True. I don't want to choose anything that has show-offy kind of writing, anything that might smack of that, but the writing has got to be good. Well, yeah, that well, sounds good. <laughs> well, she, well, she's an English teacher, so she's going to know if it's... <laughs> I'm not going to know. I'm just a dumb history guy. <laughs> <laughs> you've chosen books with strong prose. <laughs> that, that probably sounded like an English teacher. Yes. <laughs> A plus, Anne. Okay. And I'm also thinking of how I'd really love to take you a variety of places with these books we choose, whether that's a place in time or a spot in the world. I like that idea for you because that's definitely represented in the books you've chosen. Here's the first book I think you all would enjoy reading together for different reasons. It's A Deeper Darkness by J.T. Ellison. And this is the first in a series of books she's written about a medical examiner, Samantha Owens. But I want you to read this one. You would never know from the back of the book how much Curtis especially would relate to this. And I think this could be really interesting for you, Chelsea, to talk about this with him. And I'm not going to go too far into detail because the best part is something you could learn immediately by reading the acknowledgments. By the best part, I mean the extra compelling reason that I want to recommend this to you all. But it comes out as a big surprise in the book. Here's the setup. Sam Owens is a medical examiner. She has a complicated history. And of course that plays into the story, but the book kicks off when she receives a call from her ex-boyfriend's mother. And she's asking Sam in her professional capacity to do a second autopsy on her son. And this man was ruled to be the victim of a carjacking gone bad, but the mother suspects something else has happened. And Sam comes to see that there's a good reason for her suspicions. This ex-boyfriend was an army ranger. And as she begins investigating what really happened here, she ends up talking to all his colleagues and there's something not quite right and she can't figure out what it is. But going into his colleagues' lives now in the States, talking to them about the history of what happened when they were deployed together, I think Curtis would probably read this through a different lens than I did. For me, this was all new information. I thought it was really interesting to see how this works. Curtis, I imagine you'll be reading this in a very different way. I love the idea of you getting to see a mystery set in this field that you're familiar with. And I love the idea for Chelsea getting to read about a field you're familiar with and just getting to talk about how would that really have gone? Does that really happen? What does that really look like? My marriage and reading life is not your marriage and reading life, but I will say that I read this book, handed it to my husband and said, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy this. What do you think? I think that sounds wonderful. I'm into it. It sounds like it's interesting. And now you're saying don't read the acknowledgments ahead of time? That depends. So I know that 96% of humanity, that is my unofficial made up statistic, <laughs> doesn't like the spoilers. But some people just want to know what's going to happen so they can appreciate the story. I wouldn't recommend reading the acknowledgments unless you're the kind of person who reads the last page first. Well, I'm very much a person that touches the stove. So because you told me not to, I'm going to. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> <laughs> do it and then you'll want to dive into the source material that inspired the plot line here I'm very, oh curtis loves nothing more than a book with 
another list of books in it. (laughs) That's the history major coming out. (laughs) I hear you. And I will say we both, well, I picked up Dark Matter because you said you and your husband both loved it. And that's part of why I handed it off to Curtis too. So there might be more in common there than you think. Could be something there. Chelsea, my apologies, because this is going to sound like I'm just hammering Curtis's preferences, but (laughs) I think there's plenty here for the English teacher to enjoy. Have you all read The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller? I've never even heard of it. No, I have Circe on my shelf as a book of the month pick though. I would recommend that you start with this one. Chelsea, this is a debut. Curtis, you may be familiar with the story here. It's called The Song of Achilles, but it's not written from Achilles' perspective. And many readers have noticed that this is the first time they've ever felt any kind of sympathy for Achilles. They just saw him as, you know, an obnoxious, self-righteous jerk. But (laughs) this is an imaginative retelling, I don't think is a bad way to put it, of the Trojan War. So it's very imaginative. And what I like about this, especially, is that Madeline Miller brings in the women's perspective in a way that really hasn't been done in in other um, renderings of this story. The writing is strong. It's Oh, Curtis, will I scare you if I say poetic? You will not scare me. I've read the Iliad okay. and the Odyssey. So <laughs> but it's not flowery. And if you've already read those books, you'll be primed and ready to jump in. If you haven't read those books, while the Song of Achilles might inspire you to go read them, you don't have to read them first before appreciating this one. She's starting with a fascinating source material. She's doing it justice. She's bringing a 21st century perspective while honoring the original. And I think you both could really enjoy this. It's fantastic on audio. So keep that in mind for your long road trips together. How does that sound? I mean, it fits the bill of, I've already read the Homer versions of that story. So seeing it from a different perspective would fit one of my things. So I'm, I'm into it. How about you? Hun? Yeah, I've taught the Odyssey multiple times to my ninth graders and that's always a lot of fun. And this, I, this book has actually been one that I've seen and put on my TBR list. So although you didn't think originally that it was in my camp, it's definitely one that I've had my eye on. I'm happy to hear it because I think you'll enjoy it, though perhaps for different reasons. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Okay, now we're going to leave war behind, (laughs) mostly. And I'm going to try to make a case for a book that's 182 pages. I'm automatically skeptical. (laughs) I'm thinking of Montana 1948 by Larry Watson. Do either of you know this? I've never heard of it before. Neither have I. Okay, this is a book my husband read and handed to me and said, I think you'll like this. And first of all, it's called Montana 1948. Didn't really set my heart on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the cover's pretty, but it's brown. And I was like, uh... I recommend so many books to him. I need to do him the courtesy of accepting his recommendations too, because when Will thinks I'm going to like a book, I like the book. So, and plus he was like, you could probably read that tonight. And while it's 182 pages, it's very reflective and contemplative. And it's not the kind of thing that you just burn through like super fast, but that doesn't mean it's not a page turner. It just means that he's dealing with a really serious matter and the prose is written in a way that makes you just slow down a little bit. And I mean that in a good way because it really holds your attention. We are leaving war behind, but it's set in Montana in 1948. And the fact that the war did not end that long ago is very present in the story and in everyone's mind because the question of who did what in the war and what role they have in the community because of that does 
hang in the background of this story. Hmm. An older man looking back, reflecting on what happened in one summer. This is a small town story. That setting really matters here. So there's a family that is very well respected in this town. The dad is the sheriff. And in this story, his son is the one looking back. The boy, as a child, was raised largely by his Sioux housekeeper. And in the beginning of the story, she gets pneumonia, needs to be seen by the doctor, and she ends up dying Her death, for reasons that you will discover, tears the community apart. Her death brings truths to light that had been known and accepted in this community for years because of people's status and privilege and because of the way they look down on people unlike them, namely the Sioux who lived in their community. It's obviously devastating. It's also really surprising how the story unfolds. You almost see it through two lenses. You see it from the perspective of the boy as a child, because he's telling you what he perceived at the time, but he's also looking back over years. He had to leave the community after this happened, and he's reflecting on what happened then and how he sees it now. So that's our small town story, and it's gripping. But this story works on another level as well, and that is this small town family story that has a very small scope by Watson's explicit implication is shedding light on some of the darker history of our nation, how people were treated, how people were viewed, and the consequences of those mistakes. The way he tells this story on two levels, it is not an allegory, but it's so powerfully done. What do you think? I'll start off by saying that I'm I'm intrigued when you said that he doesn't use a lot of words to tell a deeper story and you want to make sure that you're not missing anything by going too fast through it. So I feel like that'd be a good challenge to actually pace myself and take the time to take every word in because I don't know if you have this, but when I'm reading a large book, sometimes I'll be skimming and maybe miss something. Intentionally trying to notice minute details because it's a short book, I feel like that would actually be a good challenge. And if you really hate it, it's only 183 pages. (laughs) (laughs) I think it sounds something that we'd both be interested in. And actually something that sparked in my brain as you were talking about the small town and the detail about that was after Curtis sat down The Hate You Give, one of the things that he said that he loved so much about it to me was the way that Angie Thomas built this community and described the town really made it come to life. And it kind of sounds like that might be something similar here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we found another one. (laughs) Of course, I'll be interested in hearing what you think, whether you love them or whether you have a new hate. Either way, it'll be interesting to talk about. Okay, Chelsea and Curtis. So we talked about A Deeper Darkness by J.T. Ellison, The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, and Montana 1948 by Larry Watson. Of those books, what do you think you'll read together next? We're having a little bit of (laughs) disagreements. Well, here's the thing. We can each read one and then swap. Oh, now now we're talking. (laughs) But if we want to buddy read them for He Read, She Read, I'm the most excited for Song of Achilles. And I'm more interested in A Deeper Darkness. It's not like they're both not going to So maybe that means we should start with Montana 1948 (laughs) as the compromise. (laughs) I might have to see what the library has here. The library oracle. Exactly. That feels appropriate. And that is a time-tested method loved by many What Should I Read Next listeners. Well, I can't wait to hear what you read and what you think about it. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you, Anne. This was so much fun. It was a pleasure. 
Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chelsea and Curtis today, and I'd love to hear what you think they should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 164. That's 164. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Now, Chelsea and Curtis just started a podcast of their own. It's called He Read, She Read. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Find them online at hereadsheread.org or on Instagram at hereadsheread. Chelsea has her own Instagram account, and it's a really lovely one, at Chelsea Reads. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-Y Reads. Next week, I'll be celebrating at home with my family. We will not have a Christmas episode, but stay tuned. What Should I Read Next? We'll be back to ring in the new year on January 1st. And we have such a great lineup ready for you in 2019. Subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you in 2019. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Get all the latest What Should I Read Next news and updates by signing up for our free weekly newsletter at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support it, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or buy or borrow a copy of my new book I'd rather be reading for yourself or a friend. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.